Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. Our next guests both got their start working in the dojo of renowned film composer Christoph Beck, assisting him writing additional music on such projects including Ant-Man, Edge of Tomorrow, and Frozen, among others. They have since gone the independent route and have racked up an amazing number of projects on their own. Together, they score mega-hit show Cobra Kai and Quibi show Die Hard, among others. And the composers are Leo Berenberg and Zach Robinson. Sup? Sup? (laughs) Not much. Man, how's everything been going with, uh, I'm sure you're still getting a lot of season two Cobra Kai uh, messages coming in and all that. It's super nice when when you have a show that you worked on two years ago and blows up and then it's like a like a, it's a renewed uh, feeling. But no, it's great. It's been awesome. Like the move to Netflix is the best thing that ever could have happened for the show, for everyone that worked on it, like for people to enjoy it. Oh, yeah. It's very much like a like lightning struck twice moment because like it was a huge hit on YouTube, but there's only like so big that that can be uh, just because there's like a barrier of entry to like, wait, I can watch a TV show on YouTube. And so, you know, Netflix is like ubiquitous. The uh, so it's unbelievable. Yeah. My Instagram is just like a solid stream of like Cobra Kai fans now. It's Cobra Kai fans who are 12 years old. Oh, amazing. Lots, lots of 12 year olds following me on Instagram for some reason. Don't know why. Oh, like, yeah. It's the demographic. <laughs> You're a teen heartthrob, Zach. <laughs> I've always been that. It's a funny thing where like, I remember getting into like Led Zeppelin and just like, you know, classic rock bands at the same time as like watching like 80s films. Like right. That. That's and true. Then- yeah, that no, that's 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 an interesting thing for sure. I feel like when you're like getting into music, like you kind of. And that's around that age, right? I don't know, like 12 or 13 is when you're kind of trying to find your musical identity and like you're talking to your friends about music and stuff. Um, I hadn't thought about that as it relates to kind of like the classic rock sound or, or the kind of sound you'd hear in some Cobra Kai stuff. I mean, I'll just say Stairway to Heaven doesn't hit the same way at 24 now for me. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Well, when you've heard it, when you've heard it six times at Guitar Center in like 10 minutes, it's just kind of like it takes takes the magic away a little bit. Right. Zach loves hanging out in guitar centers pre-pandemic and just like that, that's his like Friday, his Friday night <laughs> hang, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The guitar center scene in uh, in L.A. is really wild, too. Awful. Like never, I know. Yeah. Well, you never yeah. know when like <laughs> when D. Snyder will walk in and just like everyone turns their head, you know? <laughs> it's true. I'm curious, so like what type of uh, bands or music were you guys listening to around that like 12 year old age? I was a jazz nerd. I was a jazz nerd. <laughs> I, I'm a big Pat Metheny fan. Hmm. And uh, I, I, though I don't play guitar at all, it, probably my worst instrument, actually. Um, but uh, I grew up playing saxophone and clarinet and flute. And uh, so I was like a band geek 
type. And uh, really, I grew up in suburban Chicago. We had a very big like music program in my high school, heavy emphasis on jazz ensemble. So like I was the jazz kid. I wasn't that good, but very enthusiastic. Um, so yeah, I was just like a Pamathini nerd. That, that was my 12-year-old through 16-year-old me, through 18-year-old me, through now me. Yeah, I was going to say, what changed? I uh, I was kind of into like what, what you said, Matt. Like I, I, you know, listened to obviously like classic rock is kind of how I like got into music. And Pink Floyd is probably one of my fave bands of all time. And then that kind of turned into heavy metal um, and uh lots of other weird stuff. I got into jazz as well, just kind of later in my, in my life when I could appreciate it more. But, um, I was like the annoying, like classic rock dude in high school. I'm sad to say, um, I've since kind of grown out of that a little bit, but it still has a place in my heart. That's that's, but that's definitely what I was listening to. Gotcha. And then I listened to, I guess a lot of like, there was a, there was a really cool, like LA kind of like punk scene, experimental scene growing up. Um, like the smell at this venue downtown, the smell, which is gone now, was kind of like a go to place. And they had a lot of like cool math rock bands and like art rock and like post punk stuff. Um, that was really cool. I'm glad I got to experience that before like venues stopped being a thing. Yeah. I mean, Pat's so sick. And yeah, just the tech things alone that he's done are pretty wild. Yeah. Literally, and I, think, I mean, you, you summed it up so well. Pat's so sick, period. Yeah. Like, and all of that, like, what all of those interests, all those interests that we just like rattled off, I think Cobra Kai actually like you get a lot of those. Hmm. You, I think you can oh, actually, yeah. and then like of course you get like the film scorey stuff too. But but I think what makes the show kind of special for us is that we get to, you know, dive a little bit deeper into like past kind of like the the more cliche type of scoring um, to really like dive into these styles. It's very genre. Yeah, I mean, that's something I noticed. Well, uh, Leo, I was telling Zach that I, I've finished watching both seasons just in the last day and a half, uh, all in one Excellent. day. It's great. One, I love like the music supervision on the show, but two, just like the way the score and songs kind of interact and collide. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting. We wanted the whole score to feel, uh, you know, very at home in the, in the, licensed world as well like when we were listening we, like you know obviously when we got the job we did some listening and thinking about the original karate kid movies and like the songs in those movies are a major part of what people think about i, I like we actually like often joke that we don't think anyone like really thinks about the score when they think about the music in karate kid they just like kind of know there was the flute stuff and like they have a vague idea of what it sounds like but but uh you know, everyone's thinking about the pop songs um, and you're the best around. And so in approaching the score for the series, we wanted to make sure that like one pillar of it was taking that palette, that like 80s synth pop palette and bringing it into the score. So it all kind of felt like one one thing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, just to backtrack for a bit, too. So I want to ask about when and where you guys met. I mean, I assume it was at Chris's. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Do you remember like a lot uh, of intercoming between our a lot of intercoming between our rooms? Yes. Gotcha. So you each <laughs> had your own room at Chris Beck Studio, and like I don't know if you could talk about like meeting each other. It, first impressions. It kind of like the way that Chris's studio worked was like 
everyone kind of floated, including Chris. Like there were a bunch of rooms. There were three rooms. And like sometimes Chris just ended up in like room B, even though A was his room. And then we would work in A, like the big, nice room, the big room. But honestly, like I think Leo and I both like the smaller ones. It's like yeah. nicer. <laughs> everyone was kind of like, yeah, we had around. a bunch of we had a bunch of like matching setup basically like everything between these rooms is like identical it's something that zach and i have since like put a high priority on because it like makes it very easy when you know collaborating working with other people like prepping files to just like have total matching between stuff um so yeah we would rotate a lot but uh i started working there right out of grad school i guess this would have been like 2011 God, that seems like a lifetime ago. Um, and, uh, you know, I worked my way up the ladder. And at some point, Zach showed up, what, a year, two years, a year and a half later-ish. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were, like, pretty busy, needed another set of hands. So uh, Zach went from part-time to extremely full-time, extremely <laughs> quickly. And... Uh, and then we were both there for uh, a couple more years until um, 2015. You know, there's like an ebb and flow. Yeah, there's like an ebb and flow to to uh, composing, and so like there'd be some slow periods, and it just so happened that like around 2014, end of 2014, I guess it was, I like got a show on Comedy Central called Big Time in Hollywood, Florida. So I like left for a bit to go do that. And then like Chris got really busy right around the time I was finishing. So I like went back and like, and then kind of, there was a whole bunch of work that kind of ended right around the same time later that year. And basically since then, Zach and I have, have gone off and, and on our own. Yeah. I don't have much to add to that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's cool that you guys uh, still work together. And I mean, obviously individually you have your own projects too, but uh, it's cool that there's a couple shows now that you guys have both done together. Yeah. We value oh, yeah. that a lot. Like, if it's nice, I think, creatively to work together on certain things. And, like, we have different styles, but then sometimes our styles work incredibly well together. And I can't really, like, I, well, not that I can't, but I haven't collaborated with other composers. And a lot of that is just because Leo and I, you know, work with the same systems. We know each other very well, both personally and musically. So that streamlines things tenfold. Um, and especially with projects like Cobra Kai or Die Hard, which are more more the type of projects that we're that we're really kind of like aiming to do together, like kind of a little more like high concept action, like kind of a little tongue in cheek, like this is the stuff that I think our styles work very well together for, for sure. Yeah, the uh, there there's something really nice about like the I don't know, just like switch up in your brain when you like collaborate with someone else versus like do it on your own. Like it's nice to have a little balance. Like I find it really keeps me creatively fresh to be like, you know, finishing up one project where I was just like in my tunnel vision and then like working on Zach with something is like a really nice, like change of pace and change of process. And, and like, I I think a lot of composers will tell you that like switching between different setups and different genres and different styles is like really key to not burning out and like keeping the creative energy going. And so I think this works really well for us in that regard. Hmm. 
Yeah, are there any things, because uh, it sounds like you guys complement each other's skill sets, but are there any things that like, you find one of you excels at over the other and that you can like hand off to one another to kind of even out the workload? Yeah, Zach is fucking amazing at pro- programming MIDI drums. Like, <laughs> just I truly, un- this is like a hyper-specific answer to this question, but like to the point where... I've just given up even trying to program my drums compared to what Zach can do. Or like if I do it, like he'll like call me and he'll be like, Hey, this is great. Uh, but like, can you just send it over to me to drum on? Cause like yeah, this syncopation wasn't matching and like this and that and this and that. And like the dude is unbelievable at it. Um, so yeah, at, the, at this point, everything I write, I just send to Zach to program the drums. <laughs> well, thank you, Leo. And I would say the same about Leo's just in general kind of like orchestral mock-up arrangements. Leo is incredibly proficient at that and has always been. And yeah, the dude just mocks up incredibly well. So sometimes like I I don't come from, you know, I studied at a conservatory, but I don't come from like an orchestra background, like an orchestral background. So sometimes it's not as quick for me. But, you know, I if we're working on a Cobra Kai piece, for example, and maybe I've done the rhythm section of it um, and it, I just got to send it over to Leo to like crush some orchestra on it. Some, like, And he can just do it super, you know, we're obviously on like tight deadlines. So, you know, sending it over to Leo and it's the same way that I could maybe program certain rhythm section stuff like for him. It's just it, he just does it very well and very fast. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I'd be curious to follow up on that, too, because. I mean, I feel like Jake Monaco, Chris himself too, like they and and you guys like have really amazing sounding mock-ups. Um, were there any things you learned from working in that environment with Chris? Was it like helpful to actually just record with real orchestras too and all that? Yes, but I I I have a I have a solid answer to this question <laughs> because I think about it all the time. Chris, so when I started working for him, I was god awful at programming sampled orchestra like truly bad uh i had a very good understanding of the orchestra as i think a lot of like 22 year olds who just like come out of like music school and music grad school have and like i you know i could sit there with a pencil and paper and like you know blow out a huge score and write every woodwind part triple woodwinds in like super detail um you know, listen to a ton of freaking Wagner and Strauss and Debussy. Like, I love that stuff. Love opera. But, oh my God, my mock-ups were bad. And what Chris used to really, uh, uh, what is the term? Just like, get on my case for, hammer into me was like that. I, I mean, this is like a pretty specific nerdy, like programming discussion, but like in drawing my like, expression curves you know when you want the the french horns to like crescendo there are a couple different controls you can use to like make them crescendo and like i would kind of always just half ass it because i was like trying to be tasteful and uh that's weird chris Beck just texted me uh <laughs> that's <super laughs> like literally weird. like literally right now um he was trying to remind the, you to uh, do these things yeah, exactly. He's easy with me in spirit all the time. Um, and he would show me, like, he, he would get on the computer and show me, like, how he liked to draw them, which I, at first sight, thought was, like, extremely exaggerated in how it was it was going. But what I realized was that a mock-up 
is really like you need to reflect the intent of what the performance is going to be. And like you can't get bogged down thinking about like, oh, this sample library, this and this sample library, this and the legato transitions here and there. Like what makes a perception to the audience is like the dynamic range of the orchestra and the impact of certain hits. And so like if you have a timpani roll and it's going to crescendo, like you want to make sure that in your mock-up that full crescendo is... Uh, reflected and comes across and you can really hear the peak of it. It doesn't feel like it's pe- like kind of peaking too early and then just dropping. Like you really reach that final dynamic. And I remember like watching Chris program on one of the first movies we were doing when I was there. And I was like, oh, cool. Wow. This guy like knows how to make mock-ups. But like, I, I didn't know what like a good and bad mock-up was. And then I remember we were finishing the process and comparing the mock-ups with the final mixes and like, of course you can tell the difference between the sample orchestra and the real orchestra when you're listening to it on its own. But then if you'd mix them both in the movie, like I could not tell the difference between them. And it's because what the mock-up did so effectively was reflect that dynamic range of the final performance. And I think that's something that like young composers, like they get so bogged down in all the like, you know, millions of samples at their disposal and don't really think about like at its most basic level, like how to use it to make a good mock-up. Like, I don't know. I do a lot of shows where like I don't get to record. Cobra Kai is not one of them. We record orchestra on every episode. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, on those shows, like, I don't know. I frequently get told like, wow, your mock-ups are amazing. These mock-ups are amazing. And I never like, I am not like a guy who... Uh, like I don't know obsesses over the programming or whatever like I built a template five years ago that I worked really hard on to make it the exact sound I wanted and I've barely changed it since and like it's really just that it, it you know you're you're programming a performance when you're making a mock-up and so like that's you need to reflect that mm-hmm. yeah it's so interesting because I remember a moment like that for me when I went over to Teddy Shapiro's studio to he was supposed to teach me a bit about like brass programming and he's like, yeah, man, it's just about like exactly that expression. And he has like the, uh, the wind controller, uh, on his mouth and he's playing the keyboards shredding on his right hand. And he's also got a foot pedal on his, uh, left foot, like an expression pedal for CC 11 or something. It's just like really (sighs) funny seeing him just like, that's, that's really intense back of in his chair, like playing the keys, like blowing, like, Moving his foot is like a full contact composer. Well, they're, you know, uh, students learn from their senseis. Like, what can you say? That's like the, you know, we just have, we just have these systems that we don't even think about anymore, but we definitely inherited from the school of Beck. Cool. Well, um, I actually did want to talk to you, Leo, about Kung Fu Panda Pause of Destiny, as I just love the music for that show. Yeah, me too. I wish, I wish we'd do an album. But I feel like that died because they didn't order more episodes of the show. It happens, but <laughs> womp. But womp. no, 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 it's amazing. I think it's honestly, it's really popular on Amazon, from what I can tell from like the viewer n- numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was it interesting? Like following up, I mean, Hans Zimmer, John Powell, and even like Jeremy Zuckerman from like the previous show. Yeah, the uh, to be honest, I did not know the previous show like at all. I've never watched it. I know, so I don't really know what they did there. Um, the what's really fun about Pause of Destiny is that like when I you know took the meeting and sat down and got the gig and we like talked it out. Like they basically said like this is a western, like a uh, 
that's the vibe, but it has to sound like Kung Fu Panda. So what does that mean? And, you know, those original Zimmer Powell scores, like they lend themselves to that mashup really well because they kind of already are a mashup. Like there's heavy orchestra, probably heavier, pure orchestra than what I did, but there's a lot of like rock moments like and or like pop influenced moments just these like hyper stylized things and so like i feel like my score for pause of destiny became like it, it basically took all the hyper stylized bits of kung fu panda and like made that a full score by itself like there was almost always i mean there's a ton of orchestra in that show like you know there that's kind of one of the there's two backbones like there's always orchestra playing but then there's also always like guitars or like Asian guitars, traditional Asian plucking instruments being played like guitars in like a very Western way. And that's always happening too. And it made for a really fun show and like a really fun score. And I think, you know, like Poe is such a great character that like having him also be like, you know, the main character in the show, like really helped like tie the DNA together. So yeah, I guess like the the Zimmer Powell scores were like a great launching point for kind of like what the universe is. And then uh and then it was just up to me to kind of interpret it in this uh spaghetti western format. Yeah, it sounds like a really fun challenge. Yeah, the uh I actually remember uh Zach recommended like a Morricone score to me that that I didn't know called Il Grande Silencio. That's like a Tibetan monk western thing and uh there were a lot of vocalizations in that score that i thought were really cool and that ended up being like a i don't know inspiration for like i do a lot of like shouting and grunting in the kung fu panda pause destiny score and like that all kind of started from like me listening to this like these tibetan monk chants and that marconi score and like being really jacked about it gotcha that's what sounds like some of that might have transferred over to cobra kai too with the grunting over drums and all that yeah we we have a couple shouts i, I like to grunt <laughs> <laughs> yeah we do i mean that idea came from also just like you know um I don't know what you would call it in karate. Like, I don't know if you would call it chanting or or grunting or whatever. Well, but I'm a big, this- big inspiration from a scene from the original Karate Kid movie when Daniel goes into the Cobra Kai dojo and like Kreese is like drilling the students and they're all going like, so like yeah. that. Yeah, we knew we wanted to incorporate stuff like that. And that's been kind of a big part in the score now. And even so much that we get like comments sometimes the album versions on some of our songs don't have the uh the chance like they do in the show and people get upset about it they want the chance the people just want the chance i think that's going to be your next album leo what just me just grunting grunts yeah he already has that he just unreleased Honestly, I'm pretty good at grunting i should probably sell like a sample library of just me grunting (laughs) honestly i would buy a grunt sample library same yeah Look at that. Boom. That's like, they sell I weirder, made like, they, they I sell made weirder like 50 stuff. bucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just go to air studios and get Spitfire to sell it. He'll be, he'll be set. <laughs> yeah. We can record my grunts direct to tape with uh vintage vi- ribbon microphones and, uh, you know, deliver the grunts in eight mic positions. Um, because everyone's going to use that for sure. But speaking of albums too. So Zach, you put out 
what I thought was an amazing synthwave album under uh, it was called the Construct, Thanks. right? Yeah, the album is called the Construct. Yeah, the the project is called DAD. Right. What was like the inspiration for like putting out this album? Um, the album came out in 2013. It's actually really old, but we just had a vinyl release. That that's the the kind of new thing that came out was was uh, Electric Dream Records released it on vinyl, but it it had been released previously on like CD and cassette and digitally, obviously. But um, I have just been into kind of 80s inspired electronic music for a long time. And uh, I had been writing it even in school, like around 2009, I released first my first album. Um, And then that kind of carried through until 2013 when I released The Construct. And I don't write really as much as like as DAD anymore, but I'm still very kind of like tied into that community. And and it obviously, you know, contributes to the sound of Cobra Kai. Like that's a big part of the of the show um, is that kind of synthwave thing. And I am proud to kind of represent that sound and represent that community in the show. And I think like people, especially 80s people get very like um protective of their of their 80s like content and the karate kid is pretty sacred and that's not just with music but with everything with karate kid um so yeah we we love that's like something that we love to do with the show is to is to really like as authentically as we can make it kind of sound like an 80s thing and um a lot of the times i mean i i listen to stuff from other scores and like other things that are throwback 80s and it just never it never hits to me like i i think that i have a lot i'm very uh critical of some of the the synth like throwback synth soundtracks out there um and people are probably critically of ours critical of ours as well but i feel that it's just uh we do our best and it's something that i've i've as leo has studied wagner i have studied paul Herzog's score to blood sport <laughs> 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 amazing well i mean i'm curiosity so i feel like you both are killing it and i mean it seems like a really fast rise to like where you are right now even though i'm sure it might not have felt like that getting to where you are right now what would be like the next like dream projects either independently or or working mm. together we have a few on our vision board yeah yeah uh i'll, I'll the, say what our i'll say yeah, i'll say yeah. just go leo on knows what, say leo knows the one that it. we're okay our like top of vision board like dream project and we it's like we don't even like to say dream project because we feel like that puts it up too high like yeah. this is a project like we would crush if we get to do it but like the new power rangers movie like a, a new that, power rangers movie yeah, the new Power Rangers like, or a new Power Rangers movie, like, is our is our goal. Because we grew up in the 90s, you know, like, we talk about 80s a lot, but really early 90s is our is our jam. And we grew up on the Power Rangers. We, like, have this whole idea of the tone that we would want to accomplish. A lot of Cobra Kai stuff is kind of influenced by that, like, mid-90s, like, grungy rock TV score um especially the fight scenes also like video game scores like from the from the mid 90s like we we are really into that and we just have this now that we've kind of worked with orchestra and we've worked with as like a hybrid with like a rock band um and with synths and stuff we just like have this idea for the power rangers score that we want to do 
Uh, yeah, like that's, you know, it's like yeah. it would be like the Cobra Kai score on on like crack in some ways. <laughs> like it would get like all the all the elements that like are vaguely power rangy about the music for Cobra Kai, which is like a comment that floats around the message boards and whatnot. Um, <laughs> like you know, people seem really into that aspect, fans, which is really cool. And like you know, I think it would be hyper exaggerated and also like you know we know how to do the like blockbuster sheen so to speak so like we'd be doing like you know it like there's a way to like the worst version of a power the worst version of a power rangers movie is like all blockbuster no actual self-awareness yeah no no self-awareness you have to to be self-aware and then there's like the version where there's like all self-awareness, but like who's ever doing it, like doesn't actually have the skills to make it like play like a blockbuster and spot like a blockbuster and sound like a blockbuster. And we could do that. Like, this is just <laughs> like, this is the, the, like I said, it's not a dream project because it's just inevitable at some point. Um, <laughs> I love that. The, uh, it's just inevitable. Yeah. This is yeah, our vision board. Uh, there's, there's no, there's just no better piece of like ip that could be paired with uh, two composers than this matchup like it just it doesn't exist and matt the thing that we are really happy about with with cobra kai going to netflix is that people are yes they're people are watching but also they're listening and the thing that's hard to communicate about cobra kai because it's a quote-unquote half-hour show it, that doesn't connotate the type of score that we write for the show. Like the score, like Leo said, we record orchestra for every other, ep- for, I mean, for every episode. And I think the only other show that does that is The Mandalorian. And like, you know, The Mandalorian has maybe 10 times the budget that Cobra Kai does. But we record orchestra for every episode. It's scored like an action movie, um, especially, you know, the season finale of episode two. I mean, of season two, you know, is a there was a 15 minute set piece that like we had to score. And that just doesn't kind of get the same um when you talk about like a a half hour show it's hard for people to imagine that that's the score for it so we're really excited that people see that like oh this is like a pretty heavy duty score there's tons of music we put a lot of work into it and like you know we also as leo said we come from this background of working on very high profile like you know blockbuster movies like ant-man and edge of tomorrow where you know we're learning that's the best you know teaching that we ever could have gotten is working on movies like that and and those are truly like you know learning like just just kind of like the way to spot certain scenes in a blockbuster movie is different than spotting a scene in an indie movie like there's just different beats you have to hit and different emotions and and especially you know rises in tension and falls in tension and all that stuff so like we're very we're very excited that like people can hear this stuff now yeah yeah, it's amazing that the soundtracks for both seasons are out and getting a lot of love. Third oh, one yeah. will be out whenever the third season comes out too. We don't yeah. know when that we don't know when that is, but gotcha. but it's coming. <laughs> uh, well, cool. I guess we can just go on to the final segment for the podcast segment called Tech Talk, where I list off a tech topic and you can say oh, as boy. much or as little as you want about it. Oh, do you God. have a theme song for Tech Talk, like a little button? I don't, but I'd love to do a 80s, 90s, you know, rock thing with you guys. All right. (laughs) Great. I'll call Bradley. We'll make it happen. Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be $15,000. Yeah, we'll we'll tell him to take it easy on you. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. 
You're all Zen now? Yep. Oh, cool. yeah. Well, the first one I got here is uh, Yui. Yui, sorry. <laughs> Yui. This thing? I thought you, I thought thing? you were bringing somebody in named Yui, and I was like, Yui's oh. got a question. Right. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, it's an Akai Iwi uh, 4000S. Uh, Iwi stands for electronic wind instrument, and it's basically just a MIDI controller that you play like a saxophone or a clarinet or a flute. There, you can like get in there and change the exact fingerings, but I think everyone plays it like a saxophone. And it features very prominently into Cobra Kai. Most of the synth pan flutes you hear are me playing Iwi on this. Uh, we also, Zach and I did like a live concert um, last year uh, at the Whiskey in LA. And then we uh, played at a film music festival in Spain, Mosma. Um, and, uh, you know, used the Iwi prominently is what I was playing during most of that. So it's a, it's a major part of the sound. I run it through like a Yamaha Motif XS effect rack that kind of generates all the sounds. Um, and I bought it from this guy like in Ohio who programs custom sounds. So like the bank is like a custom thing he created with all, all of these like, you know, bespoke pan flutes and soprano saxophones and like synth sounds, especially there's a lot of really fun synth stuff in there. Um, there are many Cobra Kai cues or, or several Cobra Kai cues that are, you would never guess it from listening to it, but it's just like five tracks of me playing Iwi on five different sounds. And like, that is the cue. Um, <coughs> so it's fun. It's a different way to write, you know, that way. And uh, yeah, that's my Iwi spiel. The sad thing about the Iwi is that it looks easy to play for someone like me who is in a wins player, and it's not. It's very difficult. Now, honestly, it's hard to play even for me. The way the octave keys work is like explosive. Um, the uh, and and like getting the sensitivity, like even just things like you know, I want to blow into it because that's what I'm used to doing with a saxophone. But like that's not really what you're supposed to do. Like yes, you blow, but like you kind of keep your mouth open at the same time and like. You don't have to hold the, the keys down. You're like, you just have to touch them. Um, I really should practice more than I do. but uh, It's reassuring to know they're hard to play because I almost rage bought one a couple months ago. <laughs> oh, I mean, you, you should. Absolutely. There's, if, you, if anyone wants to see some killer Iwi playing, there's a band uh, from Japan, uh, late 80s, early 90s fusion band called T-Square, a.k.a. The Square. Um, I forgot the name of the Iwi player, but they're basically, it's instrumental, but, but their vocalist is this Iwi player, essentially. Like he plays all the lead lines and it's, uh, he makes it look real easy. Yeah. I love T-Square. I mean, they're, they're insane. Like (laughs) they're so good. It's, uh, for the, for the Pat Metheny fans listening, they will definitely love T-Square. Like, whoa. (laughs) Well, cool. Well, next one we got here, uh, is electric guitars. Okay. Um, is this a, a video pod? This is just audio just podcast audio, or, yeah. or are you just audio? Okay. So, oh, I don't man. Need to so no one can I don't see all my everything. visuals there. Um, I mean, I've got a lot of guitars here. I'll, I'll put it just like for the Cobra Kai guitars. Um, I use, uh, a 1980, uh, American Stratocaster for a lot of stuff. Um, I have a Hagstrom Swede, which is kind of like a little bit like it's, it's like, a Les Paul, like a pretty heavy, um, solid guitar with humbuckers. And then I actually just bought an Ibanez 
like super shredder ibanez um like the neon green like what is it rs 550 and i have that and then i run everything through the kemper audio profiler um however uh a lot of my guitars are actually replaced by andrew sinewick um who's an amazing session guitar player like I'm good at guitar, but I, 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 when I, when I have another guitar player play, it feels like taking a bath. Like, it's just kind of like it, like everything just gets cleaned up. Um, and it's really nice. And it's, it's where a lot of people are like confused by that, but to me, it's just very worth it. Um, we also have this amazing guitar player named Pat Lukens who goes by Myron, who's also like kind of a synthwave artist who is a mega shredder. And he kind of does featured solos on certain cues. Um, I forgot kind of what guitar he uses, but uh, yeah, he's got like, some fun ones. He's got some fun ones, and I'm trying. I really do not remember what he has. Um, the Kemper is awesome, though. I got the Kemper before season two. I didn't have it for season one, and it's it's so good, and it's so good for composing. Just like plugging in, you know, working on all your on your presets, like just before you start working, spending like a day, just kind of like finding all your different types of tones. And I have a Fender Super Reverb and like modeling that. And then when you're writing, just plugging your guitar in um, using the the like desktop app, you know, the camper can be all the way on the other side of the room and you have just total control over your effects, the amp. And it's really good for just plugging and playing. It's perfect for composing, honestly. And and I haven't even touched the surface in terms of its like live capabilities because that's not what I use it for. But people love love the Kemper for performing live as well. Yeah, they're so great. Uh, I just are like, you a guitar player? I'm a guitar player primarily. Okay, yeah. but mm-hmm. I feel like the only thing is I'm just surprised there's not been like a uh, plugin that compares. Yeah, it drives point. me crazy. There's no iPad app. Um, it drives me crazy, but I, yeah, I make do with the desktop. I agree with you that there, there's, it'd be nice to have some type of like plugin or app. Right. Well, I was thinking actually like a full like, yeah, amp modeler because like it's kind of old at this point, like four years, five years. Mm-hmm. It's pretty funny that the amp, I don't know, plugin world hasn't caught up in that way. Yeah. I guess there's that one that's, that's not Kemper, but it is that one, um, well, there's obviously guitar rig. What's the other one called? Like bot, like uh, oh, bias, bias. bias? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I haven't used bias, but I know. I think actually Pat uses bias. Um, that seems like good. Seems good. If Pat Metheny likes it, I I'm don't, sure it's fine. Oh, really? But <laughs> well, like, also, sorry, like, Pat, I don't. Know. Is that the right Pat? Or no, 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 no. no, no, no. Pat, Pat Lukens, my own. Right. Okay. <laughs> Maybe Pat Metheny does like bias, though. I'm sure he does not use guitar plugins um uh he's still using his like roland 1980 guitar synth which is tight like keep doing it um yeah i i guess it's uh i don't know i lost my train of thought yeah talking about pat metheny (laughs) uh well cool it's such a pleasure having both of you on then thanks for having us it's fun to uh it's fun to 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 talk about tech stuff like that sometimes we don't often get to do it Oh, yeah. Not nearly enough. Composer talk, baby. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Composer Talk. If you like what we're doing, feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. The show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible Eric Bard, who's also a talented composer, producer, and mixer. Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong.